the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. I love coffee, I love tea, I love the Java Jive, and it loves me. Coffee and tea and the jiving in me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. I love java sweet and hot. Oops, Mr. Moto, I'm a coffee pot. Shoot me the pot and I'll pour me a shot. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, slip me a slug from that wonderful mug. And I'll cut your lime snug in a jug. A slice of onion and a raw one. Raw one. Waiter, waiter, percolator. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the java jive and it loves me. Coffee and tea and the jiving in me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Boston bean, soy bean, that itty bitty green bean. Cabbage and green, you know that I'm not keen about it. Unless it is a chili, chili bean. I love coffee, sweet and hot.
Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner program as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour. We're going to spend a little time paying tribute to uh, it's it's National Coffee Day. I don't know if you knew that or not. I'm not a I'm not a coffee drinker, but I've uh, uh, known a lot of people who can't live without it, and um, so we're going to pay tribute to that. But my guest this hour, and that's coming up after the uh, first break, is. Um, Dr. Bertie Simmons, um, and she is an octogenarian who still makes social justice her number one cause. She's been passionate about it since uh, her humble beginnings in Louisiana, and she has a book about her life. And and there's some interesting things, particularly notable is... uh, uh, the $10 million grant she received for reimagining schools from Steve Jobs' widow. Um, but she's talking about her life and, and how she became so passionate about social justice in a book called Whispers of Hope, The Story of My Life. And so we're going to talk with uh, Bertie Simmons. That's coming up in just a little bit. But first, uh, a comedy spotlight. Um with a little hat tip to uh, National Coffee Day, and uh, then we'll get into it with Dr. Bertie Simmons. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Milestones are never really recognized right away. It takes uh, oh, 50, 60 years before people realize what an achievement it is. Like, um, take for instance tobacco and uh, the discovery of tobacco. It was discovered by Sir Walter Raleigh, you know, and he sent it over to England from the colonies. And uh, it seems to me the uses of tobacco aren't obvious right off the bat, you know. And I imagine a phone conversation between Sir Walter Raleigh and the head of the West Indies Company in in England uh, explaining about the shipment of tobacco that he had just sent over. I, I think it would go something like this. Yeah, who, who is it, Mary? Sir Walter Raleigh from the colony. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, put him on, will you? Uh, Harry? Yeah, you want to pick up the extension? It's, uh, it's Nutty Wall again. <laughs> hi, hi, Walt, baby. How are you, guy? How's, how's everything going? I think things are fine here, Walt. Did we get the what? Uh, the boatload of turkeys. Yeah, they, they arrive fine, Walt. Uh-huh. Uh, as a matter of fact, they're still here, Walt. Uh, they're, they're wandering all over London, as a matter of fact. Uh-huh. See, that's, uh, that's an American holiday, Walt. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But, what is it this time, Walt? You, you got another winner for us, uh, do you? Tobacco. <laughs> What's tobacco, Walt? It, it's a kind of leaf. And you bought 80 tons of it. <laughs> uh, let me get this straight now, Walt. You, you bought 80 tons of leaves? <laughs> this, uh... This may come as kind of a surprise to you, Walt, but uh, uh, come fall in England here, we're kind of up to our... uh... (laughs) 
It isn't that kind of leaf. Uh, what, what is it? A, a special food of some kind, is it? Well, not exactly. It has a lot of different uses. Uh, like, what are some of the uses, Walt? Are, are you saying snuff, Walt? What's, what's snuff? You, you take a pinch of tobacco. <laughs> And you shove it up your nose. <laughs> and it makes you sneeze, huh? <laughs> I, I, I imagine it would, Walt, yeah. <laughs> See, uh, uh, Goldenrod seems to do it pretty well over here, Walt. <laughs> it, it has some other uses, though. You, you can chew it or, or put it in a pipe or, or you can shred it up and put it on a piece of paper and roll it up. <laughs> don't, don't tell me, Walt. Don't, don't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you stick it in your ear, right, Walt? <laughs> all, all between your lips, Walt. <laughs> then, then what do you do to it, Walt? <laughs> You set fire to it, Walla. <laughs> then, then what do you do, Walt? You inhale the smoke. Uh, you know, Walt, it seems offhand like you can stand in front of your fireplace and have the same thing going for you, you know? <laughs> See, Walt, uh, we've been a little worried about you, you know? <laughs> Ever since you put your, your, your cape down over that mud, you know? <laughs> See, well, I, I think you're going to have kind of a tough time uh, uh, selling people on sticking burning leaves in their mouth. <laughs> you, it's going very big over there, is it? What, what's the matter, Walt? You spilt your what? Your coffee. What's, what's coffee, Walt? <laughs> That's, that's a drink you make out of beans, huh? <laughs> that, that's going over very big there, too, is it? But a lot of people have the coffee right after their first cigarette in the morning, huh? Is that what you call a burning leaves, Walt? Cigarettes? Uh-huh. I'll tell you what, Walt. Why don't you send us a boatload of those beans, too? If you can talk people in, into putting those burning leaves in their mouth, they gotta go for those beans, Walt. <laughs> And listen, Walt, don't call us, we'll call you. Right, Walt, come on, come on. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
touch my face I stay at home Shelter in place Social distance Don't go to work I wear a mask and gloves I stay away from church with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. 
you can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us, at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodin flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. The Tom Sumner Program.com. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is an octogenarian who still makes social justice her number one cause. It has been her passion since her humble beginnings in Louisiana, and she talks about that and many other things in her life, in a new book called Whispers of Hope, the Story of My Life by Dr. Bertie Simmons, who joins me now by phone. Bertie, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on your show. Tell me about your humble beginnings in Louisiana and how that influenced you to to make a life of, of working towards social justice. Well, I grew up in North Louisiana uh, during uh, the Depression, and also we were extraordinarily poor. And um, it was during the Jim Crow era. And... Um, Two things that happened to me that made me fight even today at 86 uh, for social social justice, it were, number one, I thought I was brilliant until I went to first grade. And when <laughs> I went to first grade, my mother had convinced me I could do anything. And then I got to first grade and I found out I couldn't read a word. And in those days, we had what was called round-robin reading. And what that meant was the first person in the uh, row would read a paragraph, then the second person would read the second. Well, it's coming to me, and I know I can't read. And so my heart is pounding, and my hands are sweating, and I put my head down on my desk. And it came time for me to read, and the teacher would call my name. And I didn't know any of the words on the page. So finally she would say, Edna Jean, go teach Bertie how to read. And so she came by, and Edna Jean had ringlets. And she had, I'll never forget, she had little patent leather shoes, uh, much bigger than mine. And she had little socks with lace around the top of them. And, and she also had a skirt that just bounced when she walked. So she would walk back to me with her ringlets bouncing and her skirt bouncing and her little shoes going clickety-clack, and she would tell me to read, and I couldn't read. And she said, look at the book page and read, and I couldn't read. And so finally she would read it, and then she would go clickety-clack back to her seat, and I would sit there just humiliated. So one day I went home and I said to my mother, I want to drop out of school. It was in first grade. <laughs> and she asked me why. And I said, because I hate Edna Jean Kennedy. And so my mother took my hands and held them, and then she reached over and got a piece of uh, white paper. And with a pencil, right in the middle of the page, she drew a dot. And it's rather a large black dot. <clears throat> so she said, tell me what you see here. And I thought, I'm going to pass this test. And I said, a black dot. And she said, this is the problem you're having with Edna Jean Kennedy, because Edna Jean is really trying to help you. But you, all you look at is how she makes you feel. And she said, you totally ignored all the white on that page, and you zeroed in on that black dot. And she said, that's what you're doing to Edna Jean. So she gave me an assignment to go back to school the next day and find something good about Edna Jean Kennedy. And boy, I didn't want to do that. But I did, and I found out she was very intelligent. 
And it happened that I loved intelligent people, even though I couldn't read. And so when I went back and told my mother about that, she said, what I want you to do is to spend your life looking beyond that dot and finding something good in people. And then when I was 15 years old, I had a friend. And I lived outside a small town. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I've said 15. I'm 10 years old. And I had a um, a uh, friend, and so she was black, and I was white. And I didn't realize that in those days in North Louisiana, uh, there's no way that white should be friends with blacks. And I didn't even think of her as being black. And so we spent one wonderful summer together, and... Um, we decided it was, that was during the, the war. It was not the Civil War. It was war, war, World War Two. Sure. <laughs> and so we decided to to gather scrap iron to help the war effort. And we got uh, so much scrap iron that it was almost as, as big as my little home. And uh, we got, when we sold it uh, to the old junk man, we each got four quarters. And, boy, we thought we were rich. <clears throat> and I remember licking my thumb and rubbing those quarters to make them shine. And so we decided we were going to go into town and get some ice cream. <clears throat> so we had to walk from the country into a small town and to get ice cream. And uh, when we got to the front door, I was going in, and I had Dorothy by the hand, and she said, I can't go in there. And I said, you can't come in here. Why? And she said, I would be arrested. And I couldn't understand why she thought she'd be arrested because we didn't intend to steal the ice cream. We were going to pay for it. And I said, you would be arrested. Why would you be arrested? And she said, because I am colored. And I said, you are colored. And so I said, where do you get your ice cream? She said, I have to go to the back to get my ice cream. So I said, well, then I'm going with my colored friend to the back, and I want to get ice cream with you. That was a humongous mistake I made. I had no idea what the result would be. So we uh, skipped down uh, between the feed store uh, and uh, the grocery store and went to the back. And Dorothy rapped on the door. Nothing happened. She rapped again. Nothing happened. She rapped again, and nothing happened. Now, I knew those suckers, and they heard her. So I got up there with my fist, and I just started pounding on the door. And about that time, that door flew open, and I will never forget the owner's face when I saw him. His, he was fat, and he had a white apron around him, but her, his eyes were huge when he was staring at Dorothy, and his face was red, and he was yelling at her. And then he saw me. And when he saw me, he really went crazy. And he told me to get back up front where I belonged. And I said, no, we have money. We want to buy ice cream. And ice cream was only a nickel at that time, a cone. And so I said, we earned our money. And he said, you get back up front where you belong. And I said, we just want to buy some vanilla ice cream. And he was furious with me. And he finally said, 
young lady, your your parents are going to hear about this, and you're going to pay for it. Well, I already had, I'd already told him I was going to pay for it. I didn't know what he meant at that time. But he finally sold us ice cream, and we started walking away, and I still couldn't understand what was going on. And then Dorothy told me that in some towns where she had lived, that there were water fountains that had white over one and colored over another, and restrooms would have white and colored. So she said, I have to drink, had to drink from the white water fountain. And I said, did you have Kool-Aid in your water fountain? Because I couldn't understand if it, uh, if, I mean, she had colored. I said, why do you have to drink from the colored uh, water fountain? And it must have Kool-Aid in it. And she said, no, it's just water like in the white fountain. So I said, one day I'm going to see a fountain like that. I'm going to drink it because I love Kool-Aid. And she said, no, it, it, it's just that I'm colored, and so I had to drink from that fountain. And then she told me about the boys that would go down to the quarters, and they would put two-by-fours out the back window of their cars, and black boys would be walking down the road, and they would just swap them in the back of the head and knock them out, and nothing was ever done about it. And so I kept thinking, this is all wrong. Why, why is this happening? I, it was just I was perplexed. I couldn't understand this. And so uh, she said, I said, why don't you do something about this? Why don't you fight against this because this is wrong? And she said, I'm only 10 years old, so what can I do? And she said, you can't do anything about it either. So stop getting so upset about it because you will never change it. And I said, I will change it because this is wrong. And it was a short time after that that she came running over to my house late in the day, well, it's dusk. And she said, we're moving. And I said, you can't move. We promised to be friends forever. And you can't move. And she said, well, Mama said we're moving right now. And I looked out there and I saw a pickup truck and everything was loaded in it. And so I grabbed her and we hugged each other and both our hearts were just pounding. And she, I said, friends forever. And she said, we will be friends forever. And she turned around and as she was running away, she looked back at me and I saw fear in her eyes. And I could not understand why she was having to run away here at dusk. And she had already told me once that they moved often and they usually moved at night. So anyway, it was not long after that, that night that I was lying in my bed and I saw this, the light flashing on my window and I got up and I went, ran to the window and I saw men in white, I thought it was robes with white pointed hats and they were, they were burning Dorothy's house down and they were laughing. So I ran out on the porch and I screamed, stop laughing, this is not funny. And they just, their, their pickups were revving and they just drove away and left her house burning. So that night, I, I couldn't, I just couldn't understand everything. But I began to think that when the owner of that store told me that I was going to pay for this, perhaps I had caused all this to happen. And so that night, I just spent thinking about all the bad things 
that Dorothy had told me that were happening, and I couldn't understand why, just because I had noticed when she, her ice cream was melting and running around her arm that it looked different from my arm when it was melting, but I didn't think that should make any difference. So that night, uh, I decided I that I was going to spend the rest of my life fighting that at that, that time I didn't know it was social justice. I just knew I was, didn't want this to happen to anybody else. And I was going to do whatever I could to be sure that didn't happen. And you ended up getting a uh, $10 million grant uh, for reimagining schools from um, Steve Jobs' widow. Um, I did. How how do you go about getting a $10 million grant? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, what happened was I had been retired uh, for five years, and I got a call, and the superintendent asked me if I would come out of retirement and go over to a, a school uh, on the other side of town, and it was a minority school. And I'm white. And so I I said, and, and that school was known for violence and gangs, and it was called a throwaway school, and it was a direct pipeline from high school to prison. And and it was, uh, by the, the state had labeled it a dropout factory. And I knew that because I'd read about it in the paper and I knew all about it. So I said no. So he called me again, and I said no. And third time that I got a call, I had just lost a 16-year-old granddaughter in a snow skiing accident. Hmm. And she said, uh, she would always say, Donna, tell me the Dorothy story. And I, told, I would always tell her that, Dorothy. And she would always say, I'm going to grow up to make the world a better place for all people. So the third time they called me, I said, I, I decided I would try it to go to that school to make a difference, even though I knew nothing about gangs or what I was going to do. But I wanted to leave a legacy for my granddaughter. And I went there, and I I did a... uh, I was just surprised when I got there because I didn't think they would want me there because I was white. But I found out that Hispanics and blacks love their grandmothers. And so they sort of viewed me as a grandmother. But we couldn't have assemblies or we couldn't have after-school activities because of gang fights. But now this may be a story that's too long to tell, but um, uh, one day I came in from a meeting and there was a riot on campus. And ambulances were there taking away injured people. And... uh, so when I went into my office, I found out that they were going to send, uh, the assistant principals had planned to send 32 gang members to an alternative school just to get them off campus. And so I said, I'm not going to do that because we had done that for years. I, I don't know if you know this, but in education, we do the same thing over and over, whether it's working or not. And I said, I'm not going to send them. So. What they told me was, well, you're going to be fired. And so I said, that might be a blessing. And so I said, I'm not sending them. And another thing that you were never supposed to do 
was to bring warring gangs together. But I did, and I, and I called all thirty, and they said, "Oh, you you won't be here long." And so I thought I have to do what's right because it was strange they called an old white woman out of retirement to come here. So anyway, I met with those gangsters, and um, they wouldn't talk to me at first, and they were mean mugging each other and me, and I didn't know how to mean mug back, but I got <laughs> them to talk enough that. One of them said uh, that 9-11 had never happened. They said they only trusted their gang members and their families. And they told me they didn't believe 9-11 had happened. And so I said, I know it happened. It did happen. And one kid said, Miss, if you believe that, you're dumber than we are. And so I thought, what on earth can I do? I said, what can I do to bring peace into your life and your lives and peace into the school. And um, so I thought, what if I took them to ground zero to see that it really did happen? And I finally asked, what if I took you there to prove to you because they didn't trust the government at all? And would you trust the government more and would the system more? Would you trust me more? And so there was dead silence, and they didn't say anything. And finally, one kid said, Miss, would you drive us? And I said, No, I can't drive you. I'm an old woman, and you're a bunch of thugs. And for some reason, they loved me calling them thugs. And they just all burst out laughing and started talking. And uh, they were afraid to fly. So I thought, surely somebody will help me takes these 32 gangsters to New York. And so I went to the district and asked if they could get some businesses to help me. And they said, what? I would keep that very quiet. People are going to think you're crazy. <laughs> you, you can't take gangsters to New York. So I went to places myself, businesses. Nobody would help me. And I, I decided to have a fundraiser in, in that community but you can't raise, raise funds where nobody has any money. So I stuck. And so I, that was August that I had, they signed a contract. There'd be no more gang fights on campus that year. And so it's getting around like to April, or, and I still don't have the money. So I thought, well, you know, I should just let them have a, a baby fight or something so I can save face because that was a lot of money. And besides, the teacher said I was rewarding the wrong behavior. And so they said I should be taking the National Honor Society. And we only had nine members in the National Honor Society. So I said, well, I'll take them with us. And I I just didn't know what I was going to do for money. But I was working with Dr. Benna Kalick, Dr. Art Costa, and Marion Lipwitz. And they heard what, he, what I was doing. And Marion Libowitz happened to be the mother of uh, John Stewart of Comedy Central. I started getting money from everywhere. Uh-huh. I got money from as far away as Hawaii. And I had more than enough money to take 32 gangsters, uh, chaperones, and I had to get on my own because teachers wouldn't go. And um, also the nine members of it. National Honor Society. 
And so I took those kids to New York and had no problems with them. Uh, They were scared to death for flying. And I even took them to a Broadway play, uh, 42nd Street. And it changed their lives completely. It opened their eyes to a new way of living because most of them have never been outside their community except to go to Mexico occasionally. But anyway, uh, it changed it changed everything at the school. And then I started hiring a, a police officers who were for, lived in the community and understood the kids. And they worked with me to, to help the kids rather than send, expelling them and sending them to prison. So we stopped expelling kids altogether, and we didn't. Uh, I kept them in school. We started a program called Restorative Discipline, where we had a, a, a place called the Thinkery, where people would, where the kids, if they were having trouble, and the teachers, they'd go in, and uh, they would restore the relationships. And we used the Habits of Mind uh, from Mark Costa and Bella Cayley. And then if parents had fights, they would go in there and restore relationships. And we built a covenant with the community that we were going to show mutual respect for everybody there. And we all fell in love. We had a love affair going because I learned to love them so. And, uh, and obviously, there was, I learned when you show respect, you get respect. So we had that, and we heard about this uh, grant that Lauren Powell Jobs was offering. And we never thought we would get any money. But we applied for the grant, and we started working through uh, the programs with them, just knowing we would learn a lot and never get money. And uh, after working about two, two years on that grant with them, More with the author of Whispers of Hope, Dr. Bertie Simmons, straight ahead. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. 
The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Two. Virtual play dates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Three. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us, at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and Start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! 
get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone... I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with the author of Whispers of Hope, Dr. Bertie Simmons, straight ahead. We had a call to go in to meet in our cafeteria, and there was television in there, big television, and they started talking with I looked up, and it was Lauren Bell Jobs that was on that television. And I had my little team there with me. And she told us that we were getting the grant. None of us could believe it. I mean, that was a throwaway school that nobody cared about. One kid even said to me one day, Miss, why don't you drive all the way across school to a throwaway school? And I said to him, because you're not throwaway kids. But we were doing so many different things, thinking outside the box. Uh, we started project and problem-based instruction. We changed the instructional program altogether, and we built it. Uh, it was a personalized program based on the needs of students, and we gave them choice and voice. And all that was in our plan that we submitted. When there were over about 700 schools that applied for the grant, uh, Lauren Powell Jobs chose 10 and we were one of the ten, the only one in the state of Texas. So that's how we got the money. Well, let me let me ask you this, because these days a lot of people think that uh, they may not use the phrase throwaway schools, but there are some real problems with public schools in cities all over the country, and especially under this pandemic, um, as, as schools start reopening, um, our is the pandemic forcing teachers and administrators to, to rethink how they educate kids? And is is that possibly a good thing because they're starting to think outside the box? Well, a lot of them are starting to, uh, yes. I've, I, I have a website that I, I just put a blog up there It was time, that it's time to rethink schools. And I have suggestions in there, and then I ask uh, teachers to send me other suggestions. And I got them from a faraway Colorado, and I got one from Utah and New Mexico and different places. Because what is it is doing is forcing people to think in a different way. And what I suggested in our blog at com that this really could help us to get out of that, the brick-and-mortar schools, as we've known them, with straight rows of desks, and to think of education in a different way and approaching it in a different way. And it should be centered on the needs of students, not the needs of adults in the program. But what I have found, and I had 58 years in public education, and what I found was that we spend too much time thinking about ourselves and too little time thinking about the needs of students. And 
I think our teachers uh, have always been trained to be founts of knowledge. But I think if we present programs in a different way, which I outline in my blog, that we could begin to view all of this differently and give students choice and voice about how they do the work. Because our, our schools have changed so little and the world has changed around us so rapidly that uh, we're going to have to do something to be sure and give a future to our students because the future is so different from what the past has been. Well, Brody, it's uh, we're just about out of time, but I, uh, I and we could talk for hours. Um, the book is called Whispers of Hope, The Story of My Life by Dr. Brody Simmons. Bertie, thank you so much for uh, sharing a little bit with us today. Well, thank you for having me on your program. I hope what I've said has been helpful to somebody. But I think it'd be interesting to go to my blog, to, to go to my uh, webpage and website, and it's BertieSimmons.com, because all of that is in there. And, and everything also is in my book. Well, Bertie, oh, and you can get that on Amazon. Thank you for having me. Uh, uh, and and thank you again. And with that, there'll be more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. <music>
Clint's own Steve McComb down in the Nashville office with that uh, spider to the fly from his CD uh, from 2012 called Come On In. That's a melody you're going to hear quite a bit starting uh, day after tomorrow as we uh, begin our, that we use some of the music from that for our uh, setups for Schlocktober, a different horrible recording each and every day with uh oh man it's 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 gonna be fun new songs from william shatner and leonard nimoy plus we'll hear granny from the beverly hillbillies uh, singing the blues we got all kinds of fun stuff coming up and uh in schlocktober which uh, begins thursday i want to say thanks to all the guests from today's show of course dr Bertie simmons this past hour before that we uh, talked with um environmental attorney and former Minnesota Assistant Attorney General Barbara Fries. And we started out the morning with, um, oh, it was great, Mark Rickling from Americans for Tax Fairness talking about how well billionaires have done during the pandemic while the rest of us uh, are sheltering and in some cases suffering at home. Um, Tomorrow on the show, uh, you're definitely going to want to tune in for this um, spaceflight historian and author Amy Shira Title, uh, who has uh, written a book called Fighting for Space, Two Pilots in Their Historic Battle for Female Spaceflight, um, is going to join us and talk about uh, astronaut-tested tips for navigating the unknown overcoming fear and surviving a pandemic interesting conversation plus tomorrow's wednesday which means armchair politics and we have uh, former republican congressional candidate earl lackey joining our roundtable regulars paul rosicki on the left and henry hatter on the right for our weekly roundtable from 10 to 12 or the second and third hour of our three hour tour in the meantime, that's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.